This episode was brought to you by the Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 58 and as I talked about, if you listened to our last episode, I have got Jack Hocking on. Some of you may know him already as Hocko. Um, he's in plenty of our videos inside the SF membership. He's been on live Q&As. Um, he writes our monthly report inside the membership. Jack also helped me map our maps inside there and he was also with me for the Mighty Murray film that we filmed earlier in this year. Now, I'm good mates with Hocko. We've fished quite a lot over the last couple of years and he also runs a charter business on Lake Mawala called Lake Mawala sport fishing. Now, you may have been on one of his charters already, and if you have, you obviously know him pretty well. Now, it's good to have him on for an episode of the podcast because he's been in so many other parts of what we do in social fishing. So, it was good to get him down and talk about him uh, and Lake Mawala in this episode. It was a really good chat. I asked him a stack of different questions about different seasons on Mawala, the different lures, uh, the live technology. We also talk about the drawdown, which is happening next autumn and what happens we talk about fishing the weed beds, which there is there at the minute, which can make fishing pretty tough. Um, and then we also talk about his charter business, how he grew up as a kid. And then there's a couple of questions towards the end, which were not really scripted, which I quite liked. Um, it, it brought out a couple of really cool concepts about how we think as anglers because Jack really, he, he's keyed right into fishing. He really, there's, there's something about him. He's, he does all those 1% of things that really make a difference. And that's why he's suited perfect as a guide. Plus, he loves helping others catch fish. Um, so it was a really good chat. And I do hope you get a lot out of this episode with him. Now, while you're listening, if you do have social media, make sure you screenshot the app you're listening to this on. Or if you're listening to it on, on our website, take a screenshot and post it on your wall or on your social media stories and make sure you tag myself at Social Fishing and Hocko as well at Lake Mawala Sport Fishing and let us know you are listening. Also guys, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review to let us know that you were listening and what you think about the podcast. It's great to be back with another episode. So just before we jump in, I want to mention one quick thing. If you are after updated reports Every single month on a range of different waterways, including Moela. Hocko writes one for Moela, but we've got over 14 freshwater reports on a range of different destinations. Then make sure you check out the SF membership. So jump on socialfishing.com.au and check it out. Righto, guys, without further ado, let's jump in to this chat with the one, the only, Jack Hocking. So it's exciting to finally be sitting down and it feels a bit weird, Hocko, to have you on now. I probably should have had you on earlier because we've done that much fishing together, but thanks for joining me for a episode of the podcast that's all about you. Welcome. No worries, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's um, It's been a little while, but we finally, yeah, you've finally got me to sit down and do it, so that should be good. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. It's hard to get you. Like, Tell everyone, tell everyone why we're doing it at 4.30 and not after dinner. 
Yeah, well, any later and the uh, sun will be getting low and the, the big cold will be on the move. So I'll be heading out straight after this, out on the lake to try and uh, catch a fish. You're hopeless. You're <laughs> hopeless. <laughs> yeah, I knew that would be the case. But it's now, it's just caught opening, guys. We're recording this um, and this will be out tomorrow. So the day you're listening to this is basically when we've recorded it. So I want to get it straight out for you guys. But Hoko, we'll talk stacks about Mawala. Um but I want to talk about you and uh, get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell me how fishing started for you, how you grew up, where you grew up? Tell us a story. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, well, I guess it probably started like a lot of us that were fortunate enough to be brought up in a sort of outdoorsy family. So I grew up on a farm uh, just out of Baruga and we did a lot of fishing and sort of hunting and just general outdoors stuff. Um, my whole childhood really and that that was what sort of drove that fishing and adventure bug from an early age um, and yeah I can still remember being young as I was always wanting to walk away go for a fish try and see what was in the water um, I was always pretty yeah pretty over the top uh, outdoorsy as a kid and then it's just progressed I think um, through then so, yeah, and I've grown up in the oh, the area around Yarrawonga where I am now in a little town called Cobram just down on the Murray. Uh, growing up cod fishing in the river and bobbing baits and uh, that sort of stuff for yellows, just walking the banks, flicking, doing everything I could pretty much all through school and then after school. Um, went to university to study environmental science and then... I've sort of, yeah, eventually worked for Parks Victoria and got myself into the uh, the guiding, which was always a long-term goal for me. And I finally bit the bullet, um, got all the right stuff for it, got the boat, and, yeah, I've just gone into that full on. So when you were at Parks, I'm going to go back and ask a few questions about earlier, but you, already had, you always had the plan to become a guide, so even while you were working after uni, because you went to uni... And what did you do at uni? Uh, environmental science up in Albury. Yep. Yeah. But so I've, was it then or was it after then when you were like, actually, I want to become a guide? It was probably before that. So, yeah, I'll backpedal a little bit again. When I was in Cobram growing up, I worked in the, the little independent fishing shop over there all through yeah high school, even coming back in between the uni holidays, working in the fishing shop. And that was good. I used to take a few people out that had come in the shop and visit and teach them how to fish around Cobram and just simple things. And I really enjoyed doing that sort of stuff and I always thought guiding would be an awesome gig. Um, so that was something I was always sort of aiming for. Not that I really knew I was ever going to achieve it, uh, especially after going to uni. I thought my sort of pathways might point me somewhere else. But, yeah, the opportunity sort of come up uh, a couple of years out of uni uh, after, yeah, working for Parks Victoria and, yeah, bit the bullet and just went for it. Go back, let's go back. So when you were a kid, you basically fished flat out. Do you have any, mem- like, some real fond memories of what, I'm guessing your backyard is the Murray, yeah? So did you have any fond memories of doing anything specific down there or it was just, you just remember just flat out fishing? Do you remember catching, was there a big fish that you caught when you were a kid or something with your old man or your brothers that you can remember? Yeah, I think 
I can't remember sort of a specific thing, but it was just like all the time, like after school we'd be going fishing somewhere or just going for a drive down the bush, exploring around. Um, but yeah, pretty much as early as I can remember, like looking through the old photo albums, um, there was always a rod in my hand or holding a fish or something like that. There's a picture of me uh, in our old little tinny with Dad and I'm holding up a like just a little sort of 50 centimetre cod that I'd caught on a bait caster and casting a hard body lure down in a little creek near home. Um, and yeah, I don't know how old I was, but I wouldn't have been in school and ca- casting a bait caster before they were even really big. Um, yeah. And just loving it. So you've been doing it for ages. Then you went, so Baruga, where's Baruga for people that don't know? It's downstream of Lake Mawala. Yeah, so Cobra and Baruga are just downstream Yarrawonga. It's about 35k um, from, yeah, both sort of sides down to to that area. And we've got some really good water down there, pretty much from Yarrawonga and then all the way through. Um, It's pretty popular for the cod and the yellows and it's awesome camp spots, so... We did a heap of that, but yeah, it's it's a good area to to have grown up. That's for sure. And then, so if you were to pick, because you chased ev- you've chased everything, but if you were to pick a freshwater species that you could only chase, so it's, there's only one freshwater fish that you can chase, and you can't chase anymore. What would it be? And then a separate question to that is if you could pick one trip to go somewhere in the freshwater, and this can be a different species. Where would be that trip? Like if you could go there tomorrow in the perfect conditions. So say for three days, the next three days, it's like bang on for that place. You can just drop yourself in there for three days and fish for them. So yeah, there's two questions there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'd, it'd probably have to be cod. Um, yeah, uh, I love chasing those buggers around, whether it's in the river or yeah, the lake up here or even just traveling around all over. They're all sort of slightly different how they behave and Catching them is always good fun. Some of them pull hard. Some of them just grow a bit bigger or fitter than the rest. Um, so, yeah, I'd, that the first part of that question would be cod for sure, I reckon. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, if I could go away and do a trip, I reckon it would probably have to be a bass trip. Um, yeah, I knew done, it. I knew it. Yeah, I've got a, a, a passion for... I do a lot of like backpacking and hiking and that sort of thing and I'll go in with a good mate Dan and we've hiked into some awesome little spots chasing the bass um, in some like wild rivers where we backpack in, set up a little camp and just cast top water for bass Uh, and you just catch stacks of them. They're not all huge, some of them are good fish but that's probably the pick of uh, freshwater fishing for me. I love that sort of fishing. Yeah, I thought if I give you a scenario where you could just go do it with the perfect conditions because it's something you don't do every day. Um, yeah, that's like right. Moela. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I remember when, we went to, when I went to Glenbourne and did the mapping, I think I heard from you every day and you were a bit jealous. Yeah, yeah I wish I could have come that on that trip. There. Yeah. Now, the bass are just a, they're next level fish. They're only small, but they pull so hard for the size and you can catch them different ways and, yeah, there's something about them. Because I've grown up, I haven't really been able to chase them that much. Um, they're a bit different and, yeah, they're awesome fun to chase. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I've only, I've had a limited experience compared to cod. 
and that'd be nice to live a little bit closer, I reckon. Um, so let's look at, let's talk a little bit about my whaler. Um, I want to sort of base the whole top topic or this podcast around my whaler, how it fishes as a fishery, because it's like one of the trophy fisheries, if not the premier. It's pro- it sort of had that title above its head of the the place for cod. Like if you haven't fished my whaler, like I used to get people who go, who found out I fished for cod and then there was a period there back when I was a lot younger in my teens, I'd never fished my whaler. They're like, what, haven't you fished my whaler? Do you still think it has that title or do you think some of these other impoundments are starting to sort of equal it or do you still think it's just, because it's busy as, isn't it? Yeah, it's got really busy the last little bit. Um yeah, it's probably especially the last two seasons I've just seen that many more boats here than, than usual. Like it was always a popular place, but yeah, the last little bit it's it's really gone nuts. Um but yeah, it's definitely one of those fisheries that's it's got that reputation. It probably doesn't have um the reputation for such a big fish such as like Copeton or even blaring and that sort of thing but it's just such a healthy fishery you've got the murray river below it and above it the ovens river runs in um there's a like a massive range of water you can fish from deep river channels to like a foot deep flats um and you can catch yeah anything from oh we've been catching little tiny ones this past week all the way up to yeah meter 30s and i reckon there'd be bigger ones living in the lake so yeah, it's just an awesome spot to fish. Heaps of heaps of timber to cast at, heaps of weed beds, uh, and it's always changing too. So yeah, I think it still deserves that reputation. Like most people can come and catch a cod, whether it's a little one or a big one, and yeah, have, yeah. have a ball doing it. So most people listening to this episode will know the very basics of what Lake Moela is. Pretty much, it's like a hundred k. Was it a hundred k's downstream from Hume? Roughly? Yeah, roughly it would be, yeah. Yep, and then it's basically a flooded lake system, isn't it? So it's basically the river weir, weird up, there's a weir on it, and it's just like a big flood, flooded, it's kind of like a long bowl sort of with basically a river channel, lagoons, and then flats. Yep, that's and it. Then, and it's and what are your flats? Full of, full of trees. So it was a, an old red gum forest, and then they flooded it um, when they built the wall and used it to sort of, yeah, move timber and wool and all that sort of stuff back in the day and uh, use it for recreation now. And, um, yeah, the fishing is, yeah, it's just growing in popularity all the time. Pretty much everyone comes up here for the for the lake. And do you find there's still, there's, it's pretty popular not like with people who aren't fishers as well, hey? Like it's a pretty good tourism destination. Yeah, that's right. Don't fish? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of people come come here, um, whether they're into fishing or not, and go around on the ski boats and wakeboarding and all that sort of stuff, um, and even just yeah, cruise around the lake or try fishing, like sort of the place where they can just come and they have a camp and have a fish, and if they catch something, they're not too fast. They sort of just yeah, have the whole experience while they're up here. Yeah, so. Run us through, for someone who's new to Mawailo, has fished a couple of times, hasn't had much success, can you run us through briefly, season by season, and in each season, how it fishes, kind of the water that's good to fish, the structure that's good to fish, and the lures that you'd use? So, start with summer, because we're in summer now. Briefly, a couple of minutes, what should someone do? The lures, the areas they should fish now, then what do you do in autumn, winter, and then spring, and when sort of your pick? 
times because I know you can fish it year-round and then spring's obviously different because the yellows aren't all that thick in there. So, yeah, if you can just run us through that as a basic run-through of seasons and techniques for people. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, so the summer this season's actually been a bit tougher because the water's been cold, a bit colder, uh, all coming in down the ovens and the Murray. So they've sort of been a bit slow, but just this last week, since the sun's been out and we're getting these warmer days, um, they've all started to move around a fair bit more. Like um, blokes would be out just sort of trolling hard body lures or casting uh, spinner baits and that sort of thing and catching sort of 40 cod in two or three days. Um, a lot of these have been smaller fish, uh, but it's awesome fun. Uh, so you're sort of targeting... Probably the, the, the bit deeper water back uh, sort of in the bottom bottom third from the, the wall back towards, say, Hogan's Road or, yeah, in that middle section. Um, so the lower end, like the, but like the bottom half of the lake. Yeah, yeah, the bottom the end where, yeah, the water's a bit deeper, the river channel's there, but even the flats are deeper. So you can um, fish a bit deeper water and the fish are holding tighter on the structure. So they'll be sitting tight in the shades of the big stumps and on the big lay-down logs um, that you can't normally see. Um, How deep are you talking, like three to four metres? Yeah, yeah. I reckon the majority of it's three to four metres, maybe a little bit shallower in spots and then some of it's yeah, sort of four and five metres. Um, but yeah, the average is at three to four meters, uh, and where all the the standing trees are. Yeah, and that's as a note. That's a like now. The, we'll talk about the weed in a minute. But the weeds really thick throughout the lake, and that area there, you can still fish fairly well because the weed doesn't grow when it's that deep. Is that how that works? Like yeah, that, for those yeah. Pockets you can actually troll around and not get weed down the bottom at the minute. Yeah, yeah. So the weeds thick as this year. Um, it's making a lot of lot of areas really tough to fish. Pretty much anywhere in the lake that's less than two meters or about two and a half meters has just got thick weed beds right to the surface, pretty much. Um, and they almost make it impossible to fish unless you use the right lures and different sort of techniques. So that's why we yeah we tend to stick in those bit deeper areas where the weed doesn't grow. Uh, and fish that yeah that more open water around the the actual timber structure more than the weed. Yep. Um, and yeah, we just we do a lot of trawling this time of year uh, with sort of smaller hard bodies, and then we cast uh, yeah spinner baits, things like jackal doozers, um, bassman spinner baits around those standing trees, letting them sink down, um, and just fishing really tight to the structure. And, yeah, it's also a good time if you do find those spots where the weed beds are or sort of right next to that deeper water and you chuck a surface or up over that weed, the fish will push up and sit up in those weed beds. Uh, so we've been doing all right just this past week off the surface, mostly little fish, but they've started to get really active on the surface again. Yeah, which is good because they were a bit slow last year, weren't they? Yeah, last year top. was a bit slow. It took a little bit, sort of similar to this year. Um, but, yeah, it was a bit slow at the start. And then once it really warmed up, then it fired. Uh, yeah. You get them on the surface, yeah, and pretty much any technique, really. 
Yeah. So that's summer. So summer's more of a plenty of activity, heaps of small fish, fish close to timber. Yeah. And then right now you want to fish the basin area because of that weed, but it's still better because that cooler water in the middle of summer, I'm guessing. Yeah, because um, normally it's it's a lot warmer um, than yeah. it should be. And yeah, they like to hold in that bit deeper water where they can yeah they can come up on the timber if they want, or they just go and sit back on the bottom. Especially with um, like irrigation and stuff, they sort of tend to drop it and um, just drop it a little bit, and that can sort yeah. of yeah shut them down a bit. And that's where they like to just be sitting right on a stump. So you need to target those sort of areas. Yep. Um, cool. And then, so roll through to yeah autumn. Yeah, and then autumn's, it's a good time. Um, that's like sort of once that water's settled down, uh, the, the crazy sort of summer, Christmas, New Year rush from people, that's all finished. The water, yeah, starts to clear up and settle down a bit. Um, and that's when we tend to get a lot more of the bigger fish. So from sort of, yeah, end of February and March, that's, yeah, probably one of my favourite times of year to fish, uh, especially for those bigger fish. And that's when, yeah, you start to see a lot more bigger fish getting caught off the surface um, and you can target those sort of shallower areas, more around the weed beds when they're, um, they sort of go hunting a bit more for those the bait fish that are around. Because yeah. in the summer, the bait fish are so active, they don't really have to go anywhere to to get a feed that can just hold up somewhere and ambush the, the bait or the shrimp and yabbies as it comes past. And then once it starts to cool down and those bait fish sort of, they're, they're hiding away a bit more, that's when they get out and they'll start cruising around hunting them a fair bit more. Yeah. So that's where we probably start changing, yeah, the bigger lures, um, fish a lot more surface and swim baits, that sort of time of year. Um, you still do all the other things too. We run big um, mumblers, spinner baits, and that sort of thing. But you just start to slow down your techniques. Um, and, and what depth are you looking at? And you're looking at like up on the flats or, and like off the edge of weed beds or yeah. above the weed beds when they're not fully grown? Yeah, so you try and fish a bit more around those weed beds. Like you still catch them on the trees and those logs in that three and four metres. Um, but I'll probably start pushing up a little bit shallower and, yeah, fishing around the tops of those weed beds, off the edges and that sort of thing, um, and looking for those fish that are sort of, yeah, they're active, they're up and about, moving around a bit more. Yeah. Cool. So that's that. And then what happens, the technique's fairly similar as you roll through to winter, yeah, it just gets heaps tougher, all the small fish just shut down. Yeah. As soon as you get those first couple of sort of frosts and that water really starts to cool down that's when the, the little fish shut down so um yeah you won't catch as many sort of 40 to 60 centimeter fish it'll just be that that next size bracket where you, which becomes a bit more sort of prevalent so yeah yeah that march and april we seem to catch like the most 70 and 80s and 90s in that sort of time of year um compared to the summer and yep. then, yeah, it's probably a, a range of things, but we use, yeah, bigger lures, slightly different techniques, just trying to catch those bigger fish as they get a bit more active, um, chasing that boat before it sort of gets too cold for them. Yeah, right. And then in winter, 
what do you like? What's an average session look like? What do you, what kind of lures are you using? Where are you looking for them? And you're just looking for hungry and active big fish, yeah? Yeah. So the winter time we just focus on the big fish, like a lot of places. Um, the winter cod bite sort of it's really taken off. People are pushing through the cold and slaving away for a couple of days just to get those bites from the big fish. So yeah, we'll fish bigger lures, big swim baits. Um, bigger surface lures and yeah trying to find those areas where the bait's holding so sometimes that can still be in that little bit deeper water um, right but a lot of the time it's up sort of yeah a bit shallower around a weed bed or um, fallen timber and that sort of thing where the bait will push up into and then yeah you're just looking for those active cod that are up there sort of chasing the bait fish around. And then springs, it's kind of a it's a much different fishery in the spring to other places, isn't it? Because the goldens, obviously it's your close season for cod. The goldens are very missing. They're not even hit and miss. They're pretty miss and miss, aren't they? In Yeah, unless Malala. you're in a couple of the spots where they sort of school up to spawn and that sort of thing. Um, they can be pretty tough. Like they're not all just spread out through the lake. They're only in certain pockets. Um, yeah. Otherwise, once you sort of get up past Bundalong in that flowing water, um, they tend to hold up a fair bit more up there around all the willow trees and that sort of thing. But we tend not to fish here that much because you do catch a lot more cod half the time than yellows. Even just like using little black grubs, you'll catch probably more cod than yellows. Um, yeah. So yeah, we tend to just leave it alone and go to to Eildon or Hume and that sort of thing and chase the yells and redfin and stuff up there. Because for those who don't know, Mawala, it's like it's a nursery for cod. Hey, there's masses and masses of small fish in that system. Yeah, there? yeah. Like, it's a real healthy of... system. Now, guys, if you are planning a trip to Lake Mawala, you've never been there before, or if you've fished it and aren't quite having success, or you're not sure quite where to go, then I highly recommend checking out the Mawala maps. I spent three days with Hocko not too long ago, and we actually spent some time, I spent the day driving around Lake Mawala and putting information together on all of the access points, all the boat ramps, and then we spent two days on the water fishing it and also mapping it. So we mapped all the key zones and all the key areas throughout the lake and where and sort of the difference between the three areas, how they fish, the times that you'd fish them and there's also plenty of videos in there as well on different techniques that you would use at Mawala. So that is available in the SF maps. Now the best thing about the SF maps is you don't only get access to just Mawala, you get access to all of the maps that are available and we're continually adding maps. We're up to 11 maps including blaring, Eildon, Ngambi, Copeton, so many more, and we're going to continue to grow them. Some that are coming up soon are Lake Sinclair, Talbingo Dam. We've also got Waranga Basin, Lake Nilakuti. We're working on the Murray River, and we're also going to start working on the Murrumbidgee River. So basically, we'll give you access points to all of those spots. So as it gets big, as we grow it, it is going to become an incredible resource. But if you're heading to Mawala soon, or if you need some little bit more information on fishing it, make sure you check out the SF maps at socialfishing.com.au. And they don't, do they stock it or it's all natural? No, I don't think they've stocked it for a while. It's all pretty much natural. From the um, last couple they, of decades. Yeah, they yeah. do stock a few yellows in here. Um, some of the fishing clubs do, which is good. But yeah, I think it's just pretty pretty natural um 
Like a lot of the the river below the lake shut from that cod close season to help them sort of spawn and just leave them alone. And that's yep. also to do with the trout cod um, to leave them alone as well that, during that time. But yeah, I heard a heard a story the other day. Actually, a bloke had his shrimp net in, uh, sort of up towards the top end of the lake, and he kept getting all these little fish in his shrimp net. Not so many like shrimp or yabbies, all these little yeah. fish. And they were sort of like two inches long. And he looked at them and he thought they looked like little cod. And he just kept tipping them back out in the water. And every time he checked the shrimp net, they'd be full of them again. So he rang someone that uh, either worked for fisheries or knew someone and said, what are these fish? And they turned out they were all baby cod. And he must have had his shrimp net right near a big cod nest and they were all the little uh cod fingerlings from that year like this year's breeding really? season that have grown yeah and they were all hanging there and he literally must have just put his shrimp net right near a nest of them and he just kept catching them like filling up nearly his whole shrimp net with baby cod so yeah that just cool shows to see. yeah how healthy it sort of all is and yeah i think that's that's sort of the go that's why it's so good it's got that healthy population and they'd spawn in there too because there's flow right through the entire lake. So, it's yeah, it's a really healthy population. Now, I just had a thought. Do the trouties get into Mawala? Because there is so many trout cod in the river below. Do they actually not bother coming up because the water's still? Have you ever caught a trout cod in the lake? No, I, I never have. Um, That's weird, I've eh? caught them upstream of the lake, but I've never yep. caught one in the lake. Um, and I did have a client the other day. He said he'd actually caught a couple in the lake. But yeah, I've I've never caught one. They're always yeah below the wall there, in the river. Um, there's heaps down towards Cobram, and then once yep. you get upstream a bit, then you start to catch them again in the flowing water. It just water. goes to show that they'll just go to because they can get into the lake like there's a fish ladder. So it just goes to show that they pick their spots based on their behaviour, and that just shows you how much of a fast flowing water fish they are, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, cool. So that's a good summary for someone who's going to Mawala. Basically, it's good right through uh, summer, winter, and autumn. It just depends. You just got to change your style of fishing and, and what you're going to target. But obviously, that autumn period is probably the pick. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the fly fishing you've done in Mawala and the success you've had with that and kind of how you'd fish the fly? Because you did it quite a while. Even before the live technology, you got onto some good ones with the fly when the water was clear. How did you go about that and what kind of flies did you use? Because if someone's keen to try fly fishing for cod, it's probably a good spot to do it. Yeah, that's right. My way was a perfect spot for it because, yeah, you could literally catch a, a metre cod or, yeah, just get the small ones and keep you sort of keen and you know you're doing the right thing then. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've been fly fishing the lake for for ages now used to catch sort of yeah like 50s and 60s and that was unreal um and then i sort of got a bit more serious into it all um upgraded the gear used a bit bigger flies and catching sort of yeah 80s and that sort of thing um in that autumn period again as soon as that water starts to clear up and we start to get those bigger fish um just using big sinking flies um, that you can, yeah, work along the edge of those weed beds or in those areas where you find the bait. Um, and if there's hungry fish, yeah, they fall on them. 
So, yeah, even this, this winter I gave it a good go um, and ended up finding a couple of really good fish. Uh, and it was still dirty water as well. It was just getting to that point where I wanted to try and catch one on it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I did give it a good go. Um, I was lucky enough to, I caught one um, just over a metre on the fly. Um, and it was sort of dirty enough water, I wasn't that confident. And I, yeah. found, uh, I found a fish on the live scope um, just sort of, yeah, hunting along a weed bed where I normally fish and cast out, put that in front of him, um, gave it a couple of just strips across him and he knew it was there and just rose up and grabbed it on the paws and I struck into him and, um, yeah, got him. It was it was unreal fight. Like, you just feel the head shake so much and the weight's just so different to a normal rod and reel. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was awesome fun, and then straight after that, I sort of got confident doing what I was doing um, in like those techniques, and I just kept casting, and um, I actually seen another fish cruise through on the live scope, and I knew my lure was down in that sort of area, and I just kept working it the same, and yeah, all of a sudden it just had that little tick on the paws, and I stripped, and yeah, ended up with another one, so. That was a that was an awesome morning on the fly. You got them both on a homemade fly, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I was using <laughs> a few few different ones, but they just weren't quite right for what I wanted to sort of do with them. So yeah, yeah I just I just tied one up out of all my sort of trout fly tying stuff and made it big and bulky and um, put a bit of weight into it to sink it down. And yeah, literally its first trip out. It caught two meteries and then it hasn't been back out since. <laughs> I remember you telling me about that that morning. Yeah, I could not believe it. It's, it just shows like I've fished for ages for them and then all of a sudden you can get, yeah, two in one morning. Um, that's just, yeah, a good example of cod fishing. You just never know when it's going to happen for you. So what kind of outfit, I know you used one that was probably underdone earlier on but if someone's going to do it what kind of what weight outfit are you running what weight line and type of line and then what do you do with your leader and then your flies are just different big they're like massive deceivers aren't they they're like big fluffy yeah yeah just yeah yeah so what about the gear yeah i've caught a few off the surface as well just on sort of cup face frog uh poppers and that sort of thing yeah Um, and that's good fun that's an awesome way to get into it because you sort of you work at your cast and it's easy to pick your line up and cast again with all a floating line and a surface popper. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to, to catch those, I was just running a 10-weight uh, rod and I think it was actually a smaller reel, but the reel's not that important really because most of the time you just tug a war on them. Um, yeah. Pull, yeah, you don't actually get them on the reel. Um, so, yeah, just a 10-weight rod. If you had like an 8 to 10-weight Real and then ten weight line. That's that's sort of the setup I was running with a sinking uh, intermediate tip, just to yeah, just so to help it get it down a little bit. Floating line with an intermediate tip. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's good. I wanted to just ask you about that stuff for the for those who are keen on uh, fly fishing because it's probably a good lake to give it a crack. Yeah, um, that's right. So, just run us through. I know live technology has become a big thing. 
um, and a lot of people are using it at Mawela now. What kind of lures, and I know you use it quite a lot, um, especially on big fish that are out feeding, what kind of lures do you use? And I know it's pretty much the same lures that you'd use in other lakes as well, but what kind of lures are your go-tos when you're casting out big fish that you can see? Yeah, so I sort of use a range of things and yeah, since all the live stuff, it's really changed um, the sort of dynamics of fish in Moala. We used to find a lot of fish, you'd cast a lure out, whether that was like, yeah, gigantic or a surface lure or whatever, um, and you'd cast, let it sit for a little bit and you'd only get a couple of wines in and a lot of the time that would be when the fish would grab it, where now... Um, that so many people are running the live and casting over fish all the time, that splash from the lure is actually scaring fish away. So yep. it's changed sort of the way that we have to retrieve our lures and where you cast and the size of your lure as well. Um, but, yeah, I guess it hasn't changed too much for me. I still use the same sort of lures, but a lot of the time it's just big, soft plastics um, and, yeah, like the Ignite Furies, they've been awesome. You can run them, yeah, with a jig head to get them down or I've actually used it a fair bit just as a line through so they don't yep. sink as quick and you can fish them over the weed and around the timber without them sinking straight away. Um, so I caught a few actually last season just blind casting with them around the weed um, and because they're a big, big plastic, it draws them up pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the gigantrels are pretty hard to beat, run them a lot. Um, and then the thirsty surface lures. So we still do a fair bit of surface stuff over those weed beds, like, yeah, through autumn and winter. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the thirsty paddlers, we've, we've had uh, a lot of success on them. Even with cool. all the pressure that it's receiving, like, you still just seem to be able to pull those fish up on surface lures like it's not as good as it used to be but it's still definitely a go-to way to get those big fish yeah so for people chasing those big fish it's almost like you got to think outside the box and don't use what everyone else is using because they're going to start to become aware of it um because there's a well there is a lot of fish in there like there's so many in there yeah which means only a handful are going to see lures every now and then but over time with the amount of pressure it gets compared to somewhere like blaring copeton gets a fair bit of pressure too and but size of yield and those fish in yield are never going to see as many lures as those in Mawala. so you're right it's about basically using stuff that others aren't using and that'll probably change going forward too, I reckon. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, even this season, I'm sort of trying new lures and different ways to try and get them that most people wouldn't be yeah, running yet. So I got a couple of good fish, not last night, the night before, on a lure that's yeah definitely not made for cod. Um, but yeah, it's just all about mixing it up and yeah, using different lures, different techniques that yeah they probably haven't seen before. The, it's been like 12... When did you get the live tech? Did you get it 12 months ago? Uh, yeah. Ju- uh, yeah. In spring. Yeah, yeah in it spring. was spring last year. Yeah. So, it's been 12 months and that's when a lot of people started to get it too. Like, it wasn't... Not many people had it before then. So, it's really taken off since Lowrance released there. So, 12 months of it. What are your thoughts on the pressure? Like, just what do you think 
is going to happen to Moela, but everywhere else as well, not just Moela. Do you reckon that the fish will start to get more picky or smarter because they're seeing so many more lures? Or is it just about finding them on the night that they're hungry and they'll eat anything? Like from your experience, because I know you've caught a couple more than once, do you reckon those fish will continue to eat if you can just get them on the night that they're going to eat anyway? Or do you think it's going to be kind of like hard to get those ones that are like a bit like sort of keen but not really? I'm just curious to see your thoughts because I reckon it'll change. Like I think Blaring and Copeton and that, they'll become more picky as they see more lures as the years go on. But I just wonder what you thought. Yeah, no, for sure. They're, they're already getting picky here. Like some fish, you'll just see them and they, like, they'll just know that the boat is there and they'll just take off as soon as they know it's there. Like they'll come right up, look at the boat, and then they take off. Um, and then other fish, yeah, if you do find them on the right night, you can cast your lure like away from a fish and all of a sudden a fish will just race up like almost to see what the yeah the splash was and then all of a sudden they find it so i haven't seen that as much lately um i think just because the pressure got so much um, yeah but early in the yeah in that you'd sort of yeah you'd see that a lot more and then yeah i think as they've been getting pressured and caught and cast over so much they're not they're not doing that as much so yeah it's definitely yep. going to change it my way was not a huge lake um there is a lot of fish in here, but yeah, it's definitely getting knocked around a lot. Um, yeah, just those last couple of months in winter time, we really yeah could see that that pressure taking its toll on them. So it's all about presentation now, isn't it? Yeah, it's about putting your putting your lure in the right spot. Yeah, and like it's not about just it's super easy, just lob it like an accurate cast, the right lure, the right presentation. It's kind of going to be key, I reckon. That's right, yeah. You're really going to have to key into, yeah, your lure choices. And I don't think colours make too much of a difference, but, um, yeah, you might find that colours play a part. And then, yeah, it's just going to be a big mix of things, I think, and trying to find those those right fish at the right time. Yeah, I think it's going to happen everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, talk... Explain to us, because I know we talked about it when I had you on the other day for that little cod opening podcast. Can you just tell me what the drawdown is and talk about the weed in Mawala and how it works and sort of what happened from four years ago when it last was drawn down? What's the go? What's coming up for this winter? Why they do it and how you'd fish it? Yeah, so Mawala's water level is always pretty much the same. Um, It only varies sort of maybe a foot to two foot like all the time apart from every sort of three or four years they fully drain it where it goes back just down to the actual river level um and all the flats and shallower areas become exposed and that's all where this thick weed grows and then once it's empty the weeds out of the water and the frosts actually kill it off all through the winter time so they drain it in sort of may uh for that yeah three or four months and then they fill it back up but um a lot of people fish it in that drawdown um and there is certain times where those fish will chew really well but a lot of it is pretty tough um as the water really they switch off they don't like it yeah there's certain times like there'll be heaps of boats out and you cannot catch a fish but then if you're there at that right time like yeah it's just like they all start to 
to start to chew. Um, and yeah, you, you just get back to the ramp and there'll be boats around you and they've all caught big fish or, or caught a few fish and had a ball and that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it's just a matter of being there at the right time and then keying into what they want um, while it's sort of down. Because the water gets really dirty as well. Yeah. Um, and especially if there's like a fair bit of rain and that as well because it all just runs in from the ovens. And, yeah, it goes pretty dirty and it can be tough, but, yeah, it can also be really good. So, all the banks have been mud anyway, so that all the rain and just wash, like, the mud off the side of what is normally underwater. Yeah, that's just right. So into it. Yeah. yeah. And people, yeah, like, you can still get your boats in at a couple of ramps. Yeah, so I was going to ask that. Isn't it? there, yeah, so does can you get them in for most of it? I remember seeing social media posts of there was no way to get in except for if you had a kayak at some points, or is that only for a little bit of it? Yeah, that's probably only a little bit of it. So most of it, if you've got a four-wheel drive and your boat's not massive, um, you can nearly get it in the whole time in certain ramps. Um, yeah. It just depends on, yeah, like the season and how much pressure it gets. Like at those ramps, how many, how much uh, cars drive on it and wreck the, the ramps and wear away the banks and that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. So you're not launching off concrete at that stage. You're no. Actually off the dirt. Yeah, they're all yeah. way off, way off the concrete on all ramps. Um, right. So there's pretty much yeah, there's only like two, um, and one main one at the end of it that you can actually get yeah, get the boat in. Right, and you're just dropping it straight into the river. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like being yeah in the river fishing. You can't even see up the banks. Like the the river banks come right over, and it's just, Does it look weird. Yeah, it look it's like, crazy because it's, it's not a normal river bank. It's like mud. Yeah, and you still see all the old trees and the roots coming over the banks, and yeah, there's just stumps everywhere that have been cut off, and it's pretty crazy. Like even if you don't come to fish it, it's worth the drive just to have a look and see all the trees and different lagoons and that sort of thing. And we normally go and pick up a heap of lures and that sort of thing, like get up, yeah. walk around, find spots and, yeah. Like we've we've filled buckets in like half an hour full of lures. Just, just walking like the flats in the mud. Yeah, or just find a spot where the wind blows and if you've been there when no one else has been there, yeah, we've found stacks of lures. What's the number one lure you found? Oh, I know what it's going to be. No, nah, is it? I found a real old stumpy. Yeah. An old timber stumpy with like, yeah, the, the old aluminium bib. But it's a different colour to any that I'd ever seen before and I just thought someone must have painted it. But I end up finding out off a guy that's right into collecting stump jumpers and he said that would have been one of Johnny Ellis's original ones that he would have painted up not to sell. And yeah. yeah, so I found that one year at Drain. That's probably the coolest one I've found out there. And you've got that sitting somewhere. Yeah, I still you? got that. I think you showed away. me that. Yeah, when I was over there. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's definitely seen better days. It's not in the best nick, but it's an awesome one. Like, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so the, so yeah, the weed like the weed right now is thick. So do they they drain it to kill the weed and also because if that weed stayed, it would always be there, wouldn't it? Like yeah. it would just affect it'd get that bad that it'd affect, you know, all the boating activities out there. So they do do it to kill the weed so it doesn't 
yeah. turn too out of control. But they also do it and coordinate it to do works on the wall and that during that period too. Yeah, and they do a lot of work on the foreshore and jetties oh, yeah. and yeah, managing the wall and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, most of it's that weed just to kill that because some areas it grows right to the surface and it's that thick you can't even really drive an outboard through it. Like it just gets, it's like that now, isn't it? Yeah, some spots it's already like that. Um, I had yeah my boat out in it the other day and sort of trying to get through it with the motor right up, got through it and then tried to go in the clear water, but so much weed had built up on it, like it just clogs all the um, the water intakes and that sort of thing. And if, yeah. yeah, like your electric can hardly even get through it. You just burn through batteries trying to get through the weed all day. <laughs> Yeah, and then the weed like cuts off a lot of the lagoons, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can get to some lagoons and it's all clear in there, but yeah, the the trick is getting into the weed. So yeah, you're getting a big run up and trying to hit it as hard as you can to skim over the top of it, and and then get in where it's all clear and fishing that clearer stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they do that to kill the weed. So basically, the lake next summer is going to go back to like weedless and it'll start to grow next summer in the real shallows and then it'll slowly build up from there yeah um but you'll be able to access like the entire lake once it's refilled yeah that's right you don't have to worry sort of yeah as much about those big weed beds you can pretty much cast anywhere and you're in that open clear water then so do you prefer fishing it like if you could fish it like it is now or like it is where would you pick would you pick like right at the start when there's no weed in the middle where there's like a little bit of weed, good weed beds that you can fish above them or like it is now? Um, it's a little bit of both. It just depends where those fish are sitting. So sometimes they'll be right up in the back of the thick weed beds like hiding away and you just find little pockets where they're sitting. Um, and then other times, yeah, if the weed is a bit lower, you can just fish over it and they'll be sitting in there watching stuff coming over. So you can fish like a lot of lures over the top of it and you won't get stuck in it. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I enjoy fishing around the weed. Uh, I sort of get to know where they're sitting in it. Um, and then a lot of people get put off from fishing in the weed. They get sick of getting weeded up and the slime on their lures every cast. So a lot of people yep. stay away from it. So yeah, you sort of, you're fishing water that doesn't get as much pressure as yeah some of that deeper, more open water. So you like it how it is kind of now like you don't you don't mind it being real thick yeah no i'd rather it be real thick if anything probably a bit more thick so you can actually like when it gets thicker it'll grow right to the surface and then you can actually see the edges of the weed and it doesn't come out any deeper so then you can really like yeah fish that edge and you don't have to worry about getting snagged because you can see the the edge of the weed so it's not like that everywhere at the minute. Like it is in patches, but it's still not quite that thick. Yeah, no. Some patches, it's right to the top. Like even in windy as conditions, it'll still be glassy because there's just so much weed stopping the water movement through it. And then there's yeah. other spots, it's like a foot under, but because the water's a bit dirty still, you can't even see that. So you'll right. be trying to fish in that sort of water. Um and, and that's annoying. Yeah, and you don't know the weeds there and then you'll be halfway back and your lure's all covered in weed. So, yep. yeah, another another month or two I reckon it'll grow and then that should all be sort of up on the surface and then you can, yeah, fish around it a bit easier. So it should be really good autumn. 
Typically. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. And the water should clear up a bit, hopefully, if it sort of stops, stops raining. Stops raining. For a bit. And, uh, yeah. We're all wishing that. Yeah, that's right. But the weed should filter it out a bit. Um, and, yeah, it should be good fishing, I reckon. So, the, yeah, so they drain it, it gets really low. What's the depth like in the river? Is it like a normal river, like three and four meters? Yeah. So it's empty? Yeah. yeah, so a lot of the river now is sort of that seven to 10 and 11 meters. Um, and yeah, I reckon just going from sort of memory, they drop it about four meters, um, right? Four, four to four and a bit meters, I reckon. So yeah, all that's out, and then it's just like a normal river. Is it flowing like a normal river, or is it still a bit slow? Uh, normally slows Do down, know? but certain certain spots and certain times, yeah, it'll get a fair bit of flow in it. Um, that's weird. Yeah, but once it sort of slows. Um, yeah, like if you, if you don't get the rain and that sort of thing, it pretty much, yeah, it stops. Yeah. Cool. That'll be interesting to see how that fishes. Yeah, I'm sort of looking forward to it. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, hopefully I can get the big boat in and, yeah, have a good crack at it. Yeah, cool. Right. So that sort of leads me into what I was going to ask you about next with the charter because obviously the boat, the big boat, you want to be able to get it in during the drawdown. But can you tell us a little bit about, you obviously mentioned it at the start that it was something you want to do for a while. You finally got into it. Um, can you tell us when you started your charter, what's it called, all the services you offer and yeah, everything about that? Yeah. So I've always been real passionate to sort of help people and um, teach people as much as I can. Uh, I've always been a patient person, so I think that sort of helps. But is that why you fish with me? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. So now I've got like my way of sport fishing up in yeah Yarrawonga. I mostly just do my way, but I have been doing a few trips all around as well, which is good fun um, down to Eildon and up to Hume and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I've I bought the boat. Uh, sort of winter time last year, uh, off. And you got a boat that was already in survey, didn't you? Yeah, off a guy that guided in Yarrawonga. So the boat was all in survey, which just means it's got to fit uh, a sort of category in regards to safety and um, different requirements in the boat with fuel tanks and all sorts of other stuff. Um, but that's where, yeah, a lot of the costs are involved in it all getting the boat sorted, getting it in survey um, and having all the insurances and that sort of thing to actually cover taking people on your boat. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to follow... Because I can't just go take someone on my, like, explorer, can I? Like, no, I no, that's, that's right. And that's that's why, yeah, you set it all up properly. So if something does go wrong and um, it's all covered and that sort of thing, like, you're not just doing it dodgy, but... And that's why you pay to go on a guide. Like you get looked after. You don't have to worry about bringing any of your own gear. Like everything's good gear. Run the Miller rods. Good Shimano reels. Like, and you sort of know that everything's right. You can pretty much just jump on and, um, yeah, that's what it's all about anyway. So, it's a five point eight meter action craft, um, and you'll run yeah one to three people. Normally, that's sort of a good fit for it. One to two is perfect. Um, and then, yeah. You can fit more, can't you? It's just more you like to be able to cater for everyone. So, three is like a good number for you to be able to. Yeah, three is a good number. Any, yeah. any more, it gets just a bit tricky. Like, I don't feel like you get as much out of it because you're sort of sharing all the stuff between four of you. 
rather yeah. than yeah, if there's only two or yeah, less than three, threes threes are right, but yeah, it's just a bit easier to manage yeah. and yeah, I feel like the clients get a lot more out of it that way. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll do half and full day trips here. Um, normally through summer, the full days sort of broken into two half days. So we'll do like the morning session, and then we pull out and have a spell through the middle of the day, and then go again in the afternoon. So you get those two prime bite times in, and you're not out yeah. on the water all day in the heat. Um, and yeah, normally just pull up. I can pick people up pretty much anywhere from the water. Um, so a lot of accommodation right on the water here at Moawa and I just pick people up right from the water um, and yeah we can fish grab a pizza and have the pizza in the boat while you're still fishing and yeah, yeah so get... how do you get the pizza tell us about that I'm sure your lovely wife would love a shout out yeah thanks to Rach for being the pizza delivery girl uh, yeah <laughs> we joked the other day that we need to get a little Domino's or a uh, little pizza delivery light that goes on her car, but she's awesome at running around the pizzas to all sort of parts of the lake. Otherwise, yeah, if we're down in that bottom sort of section, we pull into um, a couple of the pizza places right near the water and have them pre-ordered, just walk up and grab them, and then you're just back on the boat and, yeah, relax out, watch the sunset, and hopefully hook into a fish. But It's good fun. It's a good setting. When I was there with you those couple of times, um, it's kind of it's got a different feel to anywhere else because it and it's sometimes you don't want that feel like sometimes you want to get away but most of the times you are in the middle of nowhere but for for going on a session where you're going to go catch some fish you know you've got really good scenery you're actually surrounded by like a town and you've got those facilities there it like complements the whole guiding experience really well I reckon yeah that's so, right it's perfect like yeah you got the town around you that's got everything you need like you can stay on the water and be fishing in front of where you're staying sometimes or you can be right up the top of the lake and you can't see anyone or any houses around and it feels like you're just in the middle of nowhere so it's pretty diverse like that but yeah it is a it is a good spot it's pretty easy like yeah you got accommodation and food also close so you do mainly the fishing stuff but you also do this, you've got a, a thing there for people who don't want to fish it, just want to see the lake, yeah? You do yeah, things? Yeah, I'll do some little just tours. So I'll get a lot of tourists come up here um, over the summer sort of months and, yeah, we'll just go for a bit of a cruise around and have a look at, yeah, like Pelican Island's always got a few pelicans on it. Um, Is that why it's called Pelican Yeah, Island? funnily enough. So <laughs> this time of year it's actually got a heap of young ones on it. So we've been and have, having a look at them. Um, and then, yeah, you just go back and have a relax and grab a pizza and enjoy just sitting out on the boat um, in the lake. So, yeah, pick, pick you up sort of anywhere on the lake and, yeah, go for a cruise up the Bundalong or pretty much anywhere you want to go. Nice. And then, so if people are interested in that um, and booking a trip with you what's the best way to get in touch or find out more info just the website yeah if you jump on the website you can book online now so you can see the availabilities and then you can actually book the day that you want um and pay the deposit and all that sort of stuff through the website otherwise yeah just send me a message on like facebook or instagram or um yeah give me a call anytime and yeah and then we can go from there and sort out a date and answer any questions you got 
Cool. And what I'll do is I'll actually put uh, the info to that in the show notes. So, if you're listening to this on the website, there'll be show notes. I'll also put them in the descriptions if you're listening to it on an app um, with your website, Instagram, Facebook, things like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. so that's the lake, but you're also keen, and I know like what you, 12 months you've actually been guiding for, you've been fishing forever, and you've been fishing my whale for a long time, but you're actually keen to sort of move into, are you still keen to do those extended trips um, when the conditions suit? Because I know you did a couple of extended trips on the Murray last winter. Um, they're always something that people can tee up with you as well, can't they? Yeah, that's travel, right. Yeah. Travel up north because you fished. You fish a lot of waterways, even with me traveling around and without. So you kind of have a fair understanding of most places. So if someone wants to fish somewhere else, they can still hit you up with the question, can't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, when the time's right, um, it sort of takes a bit more planning. But yeah, do trips away. Like um, we've done a few good trips now down Eildon, um, and yeah, sort of the guys I've been with down there, I've had a few times, and we just camped and. I I just cook them a good feed and have a few beers by the campfire after a day of fishing and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we go down the Murray. Uh, I've had a few blokes that will probably sneak up to Windermere at some stage. Um, yep. But yeah, we just yeah, pretty much can go anywhere um, if everything sort of lines up. Yeah, and that will hopefully have more once the rain sort of settles a bit, hopefully next year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, once everything yeah. settles down and, um, yeah, everything's a bit more stable, it should be right. Cool, mate. That's awesome. So, as we talked about, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, just jump on the website. Now, I've got a couple last questions for you before we finish up. We've gone for near on an hour, which is awesome, and hopefully people have picked up some good info. Now, can you share from... Because I know that like, there's a lot of anglers out there, right? So, there's a lot of people that I come in contact with as well, obviously with the podcast, um, a lot of people inside our membership platform. There's just people that you run into and chat to on social media. And there's there's a, there's a select few, like there's a couple, I'm going to say 5%, 10% maybe, no, even less, 5%. It's so like the people who have those, those one percenters or they've just got some gift above... They just got a gift for fishing, like whether it's because they fished all their life growing up, or they just look at fishing a different way to everyone else. There's a, there's a select few people that I could pick that are really in that next level, and you have to be one. You are one of them because I don't know how often you just catch fish. Like we went to the Goulburn River, meter on surface. We went to Wyangla, meter cod, and caught a stack. It's just like you can. You can work out what the fish want when it's happening. And I don't know what it is, but there's something about you and you just know. And that's probably what makes you a really good guide because you can go out and you obviously know Lake Mawala, but you can go out in any condition. You can find a fish. Now, that being said, do you have a lesson that you've learned about cod? Something that might be out of the box or a little bit different. I'm putting you on the spot here. You might not have an answer for me. But is there some lesson that you've learned through the years, it's something a little bit different that sort of is something that you think about that makes you more successful or a successful angler that you can share with people about chasing cod or fishing in general. Like is it to do with how particular you are on the weather, your lure presentation? Is there, is there something? I know I've just put you on the spot. <laughs> thoughts are. Thanks, mate. Sorry. That's a bloody pretty good spiel. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I've just grown up fishing so much and, I've yeah, I, I love always learning stuff. So, 
I'll get yeah a lot out like the membership you've got. I get a lot out of that, and I always continue to learn. I think um, I'm definitely yeah. I don't think I'm an expert. Like there's still blokes that I know that catch heaps more fish than me, um, bigger fish, all that sort of thing. But I just do what I do. Um, and I love what I do, and I feel like I'm good at teaching people stuff as well. So that's sort of why yeah, I, yeah, I really got into the guiding. Um, but as far as yeah, a key thing, I've really learnt this in the last yeah year, probably since I've been guiding and that I've been forced just to go fishing like when I have a booking rather than looking yeah. at the barometer or the moon or the weather and that sort of thing. Um, it really just forces you to like you have to try and catch a fish. It doesn't matter on what's going on. So it's always just trying to work out those different things, whether that's changing a little presentation like more than you should or, yeah, different retrieves and fishing sort of different areas, just doing different things. Um, I think that really helps. But one of the key things that I think I have maybe over others is I really picture a fish on every cast. So every right. cast that I put in, is like targeted. I don't just cast for the sake of casting and things. So you're not on autopilot? No, like even if I'm just casting in the middle of nowhere, I'm still picturing what that lure's doing. Like it's sinking down or it's in that sort of zone and you're retrieving it back and you might give it a little flick just to make it look like an injured fish and then you keep rolling and I just picture a fish like on every cast, whether it's going to eat it or it's sitting there watching the lure all the way back to the boat. Um, and, yeah. yeah, even since having the live technology, it really shows what can happen. Like the amount of times you'll retrieve your lure and you might burn it back halfway back to the boat and you can look down and there'll be a fish would have come out like to look at your lure and you've just burned it away from it. So yeah. you sort of really, yeah, if you key into every cast and you make every cast like a point of putting your lure in that spot and retrieving it back in the right spot, doing the right things, eventually a fish is going to grab it. Um, yeah. So I think that's just how I look at every cast and maybe that's why, yeah, like it does pay off because you're, you're confident doing what you're doing. So when you fish, you actually fish like you're thinking the whole time and that's why when I call you and talk to you on the phone, I can't get much out of you or much sense because you're concentrating on your fishing while you got your headphones in, I'm talking to you on the phone. But that'd be wise. You're saying you don't just autopilot and then spend the next half an hour because things are slow and you don't even really know what happened to your lure through that half an hour. It's like you're thinking every single cast. Yeah, that's right. Like even, yeah, the other day... Uh, I was out sort of fishing some shallow weed beds and the water clarity was actually pretty good and I, I actually was going trying to catch a carp just for fun while I was sort of going through a little area that's really thick in the weed and I was casting little plastics at these carp I could see sitting in the weed but they wouldn't eat so I just went back to um, the cod lure and I got to a spot and I just thought this looks fishy as there should be a cod here somewhere and as I sort of thought it, I hadn't even had a chance to cast and this cod's just poked out of the weed and was sitting there eyeballing me and then it's turned and swam away. 
And I thought, yeah, I, I, I thought there could be a fish in this little spot. Um, and I sort of gave it a little spell, come back, and I was looking, looking, and I was actually casting at this stage. But the fish was still there, and he was just cruising around watching me in the boat. And he was like in a foot or two of water and just like cruising around watching me. But then I thought if he's here, like there's going to be another fish. And straight away I just thought I've got to get the lure in the water here somewhere. There's got to be another one. Found a little shady pocket next to the weed and cast in. And, yeah, I'd just seen that lure come through the little gap in the weed and a fish just come out and scoffed it, like, straight away. But it was probably, yeah, you know, like, you just picture a fish. You're not just going, oh, that fish was cool. I wish I caught him. I was like, nah, where's the next one? There's got to be one here. And yeah. I made a point of, like, yeah, casting in that same sort of zone because I knew where they'd be. And, yeah, one comes straight out and got it. Yeah, so it's about how you approach. And for those of you who are listening, if you don't follow Jack on Insta, go follow Lake Moala Sports Sport Fishing on Instagram and go watch that video he just put up because the water is clear and the fish swims straight past the boat. It's a pretty epic video. And I remember when I called you the other day, I was like, surely you already had a crack at that fish because there's no way you would film it without casting at it first. Yeah, so I cast at it when I first seen it and it full yeah. took off like the spinnerbait come past it and he just took off like a million miles an hour. And then that was when I came back. I grabbed my phone in case he popped up again. And yeah, yeah, as I went back over that spot, he actually yeah, he'd come back out, and that was when I was quick enough to grab my phone out of my pocket. I didn't bother cast at him because I knew he was already spooked from that first time. And yeah, that's when I took the video. But then yeah, the fish I actually caught, yeah, he was sort of tucked away waiting for something to swim through the little gap in the weed. Yeah, it's an epic clip. Yeah, everyone. That was if you cool. haven't seen it, make sure you go watch it. So, just touching on what you're talking about there, just for a reference point, like when we were down the river on the Murray, you had the same thought process, like, and and I do too, especially with timber and where your cast got to be accurate. Even though you're sort of just casting along, looking for another cast, you're always analysing, aren't you? So you'd retrieve it in and you'd look at the scenario you've got. And you'd be like, right, there's a good spot to put there. Like that's the key spot based on the current flow. Probably not going to get snagged too much. That's basically where the fish is most likely to sit. Let's run a cast through there. If you're confident it went through the right spot, you know, you move on to the next. Like you're always thinking like that, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. And like, yeah, down the river, like even the fish, that big one that I missed in the Galban and I think even the one that I caught in the river, I sort of like would be retrieving the lure and I'll picture where that fish is going to be sitting. And it doesn't always work, but it's just like if you keep doing that same stuff over and over, eventually there is going to be a fish sitting there where you think it is. So like yep. that one that I missed that you did get on video, I think. And the Goldman. Yeah, right at the end of that big tree and I cast and I retrieved it along the tree. But right as it got to that little pocket, I just thought, yeah, I'll chuck it there, give it a couple of twitches because he might be sitting right there. And... Yeah, I could pick like I pictured that hit in my head as it like was happening, and then it happened. I actually <laughs> missed the fish, but yeah, I could full just picture it, so I was confident yep. what I was doing, and yeah, it nearly. Paid so up. we, we yeah, nearly we actually because trying to put like the picture into words. Basically, the log was laying out at a diagonal angle, like a normal log would with current, and. 
ideally you want to cover water. So we we were both casting up to the top of the root ball and running it back out. But you're saying that your lure didn't quite get right into the spindly parts where you thought he would be. So you're like, I need to put one there. So to do that, you actually had to cast it right in, drop it there, and you twitched it. And he was sitting right there, and he smacked it within three twitches. So that's what you're saying. You're like, no, that's where the fish is. Like that needs a cast. Yeah. And on yeah. that cast, it needed to be twitched. Yeah, then, yeah, rather than just rip it straight back because I could, yeah, yep. I just pictured like, yeah, if something fell in there and it was twitching along, that was like that presentation and, yeah, it almost well, worked. Well, in the, in the picture, next time, can you actually picture holding it because you obviously <laughs> forgot that part of the picture. Yeah, I know. I might go back and try and get him. But that's probably another thing too. Yeah, as soon as I do catch one, I'm already picturing that next fish like where I'm going to cast next. Before I'm going to let that one go. That's bad. Yeah. you got to give it at least two minutes. But no, that's that's what it is, part of the addiction. But yeah, yeah. that fish was a big fish. And if those of you guys haven't seen that hit, it's actually in a surface demo video. Um, casting big surface lures on a river. It's a technique video in the membership. Um, at the end of it, that hit is included. Um, so go check it out because it's probably one of the biggest explosions from a river surface fish I've ever seen. Like he moved some water, eh? Yeah. He's a big fish. Yeah, proper scared me. I jumped like so much. I didn't realize it until we watched the video, but yeah, he scared the hell out of me. Yeah, so... That's cool. That was a really good answer. I didn't think you'd come. I didn't know you, what you'd come up with there to that. So yeah, that was good. I just I like think that. yeah, because like there's no cer- certain thing that um, like yeah makes makes it any better to go or do stuff different. I think it's just a matter of you keep doing the same thing and being confident, like knowing where they're sort of going to be or knowing what your lure is doing the whole time like eventually they're going to eat, even in crap conditions. I think one of my biggest cod from last season come on like the lowest barometer out of any metery I caught the whole time and that was the biggest fish and it was just like a weird in-between time. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, and I've learned that through the guiding too. Like we can have the shittest wind or um, the toughest conditions, cold, and we still – like, yeah, some days you still don't get a fish, but you might get a hit or you get follows. It's just all about, yeah, you keep your lure in the right spot, do different things and don't worry about the those sort of factors and you just keep doing what you're doing, keep fishing. Yeah, awesome. So I've got one more question for you. Can you tell me the story, doesn't have to be super long, but tell us sort of the setting and what happened, the story of your best catch to date. Do you... Have a fish. I know you've caught a lot of awesome fish. You've caught some big fish. Do you have one? And I think I know which one it is. Do you have one that sticks in your mind as your most memorable catch? Is it the one I'm thinking of or no? I don't know. Which one are you thinking of? Well, what what is your most memorable catch? I don't know. I'm already thinking about the one I'm going to catch tonight. (laughs) Well, can you make up the story and tell us Uh, about that one? (laughs) Yeah, I think... Yeah, my, my PB, that was a pretty special fish. Um, I, yeah, I caught, That was this winner? Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, you had to pip me. Yeah. I never thought you'd get me, and I thought I had you forever, but you got me by, what, a centimetre or yeah, two? Yeah, one or two, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'd caught, yeah, I'd caught a couple of real good ones before all this live scope and that sort of thing, 
Um, and my PB was actually still running, even though I'd caught, yeah, a heap over a meter during the winter. Um, yeah. I was what was it? 125. 125 or 126. Yeah, 125. From a couple of years ago. Yeah, a few years ago on a swim boat. Um, and I'd caught so many and I thought, geez, it's pretty crazy. Like, I haven't caught one bigger or I hadn't even really, like, I'd seen a couple bigger on the live scope, but I hadn't really, yeah, had the chance at that many big fish. And, uh, anyway, yeah, one, one Arvo right on that, that prime time. Um, I was actually just testing out these new swim boats that I've been making and I pour myself. Um, yeah. And I hadn't even glued it together. The joins were just like sitting there loosely. Um, lucky I had like, yeah, I don't think I'd even glued the screw eyes in. I was just checking if it swam. Um, and it actually swam pretty well. And I thought, oh, I'll just get casting. And then I probably forgot that it was the test one. And yeah, just fishing sort of a bit of timber and a big, uh, a big weed bed that I pulled some good fish out of. Um, and I was, yeah, just casting my way along. And having a bit of a look every now and then with the scope, and I, yeah, I was about mid retrieve back, and a fish sort of cruised through the screen right in front of where I, like my lure was, and I thought that's nuts, that's a massive fish, and um, yeah, he actually he he sort of must have known the boat was there, and he's looking up at it, and the lure went straight over him, and he actually turned, but it was like he lost it. Um, yeah. And he just like sat there and it was like he was sitting there waiting for something to fall down in front of him again. Yeah. And then I could just, yeah, I just cast it back in over the top and, uh, yeah, gave it a couple of twitches and next thing you just come up and, yeah, you just see the water around the lure just like fuzz up. Like when they hit stuff on the live scope, you see all the bubbles and everything come out. And yeah, I've just seen this massive cool. big like expansion of bubbles and stuff on the screen and like oh well yeah i sort of just forgot what happened then and i knew it was a good fish and he sort of yeah massive head shakes rolling around and it was right on dark so i couldn't really see that well and uh managed to get him in the net by myself and i'm looking at him in the net in the water and his tail was hanging out by a fair bit and i thought geez he's a good fish he's made a 20 and then I got him in the boat and laid him on the deck and I could only just lift him over the side of the boat and he still had so much tail hanging out. I thought, this is my new PB for sure. And I got it, yeah, once I got him out of that out of that net and laid him on the brag mat, he went right over the end of the brag mat and that, <laughs> that swim bait was right there in his gob. I was, yeah, I was pretty blown away. So, That's epic yeah. to catch it on your own made swim bait when it's a test one. Yeah. And what did it go? Uh, 131. 131. Yeah. 131. Yeah, you beat me by one centimetre. Yeah. So that was You're pretty good, aren't crazy. You? Yeah. Yeah. But I still that's think probably fish. my first metre, like way back, that's that's one of my most memorable ones, I think. Because tell us about that. You, I remember you saying that you worked so hard for that first one. I remember you telling me that you fished like flat out, flat out, flat out. And actually when you caught it, you didn't know what to do because you're like, oh, I've caught it. Like it was like you'd got to it, hey. That's why yeah. that one was so special. Yeah, I think I'd worked so hard. Like, yeah, I'd fished so many hours, done trips away, put in that much effort 
And I'd caught them like right up to a metre, but I still hadn't cracked that metre fish. And um, yeah, I forget when it was now. It was like, yeah, a while back now. And um, I was just casting a, a Bassman mumbler. And yeah, like I sort of wasn't really expecting it. Um, like I knew there was good fish in this sort of spot. And yeah, I hopped it back over this log and just felt this tiny little tick on the line as it was sinking and I hooked into it and yeah, it just stopped and big head shakes and all sorts went on. Anyway, and got it up and I just had him pinned on the outside of the nose by the You're rear kidding. stinger in like half a centimetre of skin, like in between his nose holes on his nose. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I was panicking and I finally got him in the net Got him in the boat. He went a metre seven. And, yeah, held him in the water and then he just took off. And, yeah, after that, it was just, it was this weird feeling that I'd achieved the goal of catching that metre and I was sort of, like, sad because the challenge was gone. Like, I'd I'd achieved that goal. um, And, yeah, I didn't know what to aim for next. Like, it was sort of a weird feeling, like, Yes, you can set different goals for like a size or catch a one twenty or one thirty or whatever, but it's not the same as that that first, first one. one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, was pretty special, eh? Yeah, and I put in put in so much time and effort, and then finally got it. And then yeah, I had the bug from then on for those big fish. Like every time I fish now, pretty much it's just for big fish. Um, and yeah, it's just once you get that bug for the big fish, you can't shake it off. I reckon. Yeah, and like that's it's epic. it's that the old story they say when you catch one, like it just rains with them. After that, it all it sort did, of clicks. It? Yeah, I forget how many I caught, but I'm pretty sure like even a day or two later, I got another one. And yeah, I probably caught a fair few in sort of those that next couple of weeks. I think. Yeah, it just started. Yeah. It's, it's the hardest one. The first one's the yeah, hardest one. Yeah, so no, that was cool. that was a good one. It's interesting that you said where you talked about big fish, and now you go out just chasing the big fish. I remember that was something that we talked about when we were on a session somewhere. It was that we were talking about something happened where people were like, "How do you get the big fish?" I don't know if it was someone talking to us or how the conversation came about, but it was the fact that you were like, "If you think big." and you think about big fish and are happy to not catch small fish, big fish will come your way. I remember that was something you were saying. People were like, yeah, well, I'm catching these small fish, but you're like, they're not thinking just big. You know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, so I think I, like when I was young, you, you go out and you're just happy to catch fish. Like If it's 40 centimetres, that's a good fish, or if it's 60, that's a good fish, and you're happy to just keep getting hits and catching fish and you have a ball, but once you once you put your sort of mind to wanting to get those big ones, a lot of the time if you're still doing the same things that you've done for 10, 20 years and you haven't caught a metery, there's probably a reason for that. Um, yeah. So I was only talking to a guy today actually um, and he, he said he caught sort of like 40 fish over three or four days. And I said, oh, yeah, that's that's good going. What sort of size? And he said, oh, a lot of them have been like 20 to 45 and a couple of just legal size cod, but no big ones at all. And I 
and he showed me a couple of pictures and he was only using like small lures and fishing in spots where the big fish might not necessarily be. Um, yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest things I learned is if you want to catch those big fish, you have to be yeah fishing the certain areas, fishing bigger lures um, and really just chasing those big fish and being happy, yeah, to, to fish for maybe a day or two without even getting a hit from a little fish. And eventually, yeah. if you do get one, it's probably going to be one of these big fish that you are chasing. Yeah. So, it's all about the mindset and the technique. So, if you're fishing in a river, you want to fish at the right time of year for the big fish. You want to throw big surface, big hard bodies, and you want to fish right along the length of the log. Whereas, if you're going to catch small fish, go smaller lures, fish right up in the spindly edges, like right up against the edge in the bank, in the slacker water. You're going to catch smaller fish, especially in summer. And when you look at a dam, you want to be fishing the winter time, the feeding banks, where the bait is, where they're up high, shallow, casting big lures. Yeah, that's that right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Like they, you do catch, we've caught plenty of big cod on small stuff, but yep. it's, yeah, it's pretty much if you... It's more of a fluke yeah, or just a yeah. random occurrence. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like 95% of them would come on lures bigger than 130 mil 50, probably. Yeah. yeah. 150 is a good size, I reckon. Anything smaller yep. than that, like it's a little bit of a, a both style, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If you want those big, bigger fish, you need to be going 150 minimum, and just yeah, yep. bigger. I don't go crazy big with lures because it yep. does get a bit tough to cast and retrieve. And if you are putting in long hours and you're trying to cast something that weighs like a brick, you're probably not going to fish it that well. Where if you can find something that's still big enough and easy to cast, um, you'll fish a lot better. And I reckon yeah, that's your best chance of getting them. Yeah, it's just about the mindset. I just wanted to touch on that because as you were talking about it before, I remember it's something you've mentioned to me um, once before when we were talking. It does, it makes total sense. It's all about, you, you're not like, I remember, I can't remember how it was, but I'm like, they're not thinking, well, you said they're not thinking about big fish. Like, yeah, you're yeah. thinking wrong. You got to think big fish. You got to be happy, completely happy that you're just chasing big fish. If you want small fish or you just want to go out for fun, then you got to approach it differently and you will catch smaller fish. That's and, right. But you chances of a big fish are a lot slimmer yeah cool mate that's awesome um the one that's pretty much all the questions i just want to mention that the cod i was thinking about was the one from the murray but if anyone wants to see the story or hear the story about that they can go check out the murray river film which we filmed that entire session yeah um, i think which that, is probably a good way to explain that yeah that's right i think yeah that fish is definitely up there too that's a pretty special one that was a cracker fish cracking video Made a on surface yeah on one of yeah, on a thirsty paddler that yeah, I've been been running them for ages and yeah, to finally get one of those big fish on it was awesome. From the Murray, from where you grew up. Yeah, it's kind of the one you were chasing. Twenty k from where I grew up, and I used to fish all that water as a kid, and then to go back knowing what I know now, and yeah, pulling a fish like that was just awesome. That was an epic trip. So if you guys haven't seen it, you can jump on the website. Um, Murray River film, Mighty Murray. It's the Mighty Murray film that we did uh, last autumn during probably the last time we had a week of sun. Yeah, um, it's that's been right. raining since. We timed it well, but yeah, that was that's an epic film. We managed two meters on that trip. But I reckon the highlight of that video for you guys is to learn how to bush cook 
We'll talk <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, there's a bit of comedy. It's good fun. Yeah. It's good fun. Nah, it, shows, it shows the whole lot of what a trip is about, getting to the spot, the anticipation, the footage of what the river systems are like, trying to catch the fish and a bit of funnies as well. That's right. No, it was a yeah, it was an awesome trip and it was yeah, it was good to good to have it all on video to look back on. Yeah. Then um you're real happy. I just want to mention for those who have seen it, do you remember what the first thing you said to me was after I landed my metery? No. You were like, I'll put a cast right there right before with my lure. Oh, Remember? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny, it's the first thing you noticed when it always happens when you're fishing with mates is I just put a cast there. Like, it's the first thing you think of if a mate catches a fish. Yeah. In the spot where you just cast. And it was, like, exactly the same, except you were on a different angle and it just ran on the right side of the log. Yeah. And that's what fishing comes down to. I see it all the time, nearly every day on the boat. It's just little tiny things like that. Where you could, yeah, catch a metery or not. And that's pure luck. Like, that was a matter of inches and it was pure luck. Yeah. There was a tree under there which we didn't even see, but your hard body bounced over the log, like right on the root ball, and somehow mine was like two inches to the right and it completely missed the log and went like along the, the spindly parts of the roots and it actually dived deeper, it would have dived down beside the log. And that was enough for him to come and eat it. How crazy yeah. is it? And that's that, that was the difference. Yeah, and that's what it all comes down to. Like, yeah, I've seen it on that many charters. Like, it's just crazy that, yeah, such a big reward can come down to a tiny little thing like that. Yeah, that's what it's all it's about. Pretty cool. It's good. That's what it's all about. We might leave it there, mate. Thanks for that. No that worries. That was awesome. Thank um, you. If anyone wants to get in touch with you. Lake Mawala Sport Fishing and uh, it's going to be a good summer for you down there so I appreciate the chat and I'm sure I'll be down fishing with you soon. Sounds Thanks good. Thanks for that, Hocko. No worries at all, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. It's good. Cheers. Good luck tonight. Yeah, thanks. I'm about to go hook the boat on and see how I go. And there you have it, guys, another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. I should have got Hocko on a long time ago. We've spent a lot of time together. I'm down at his place quite a lot, but usually when we're together, we're too busy fishing or filming, Uh, but it was finally good to get him on. Now, I know he's heading out for an afternoon session now, so hopefully he gets onto a few fish, but... I highly recommend spending some time with him, even if you aren't looking to fish Mawala, if you're looking to fish Eildon, Epilock, any of those Victorian waterways, Lake Hume, he's even willing, like he said, to travel up into New South Wales. He really knows how to fish. It doesn't matter where you go, if you were to spend the day with him, you will learn an incredible amount about freshwater fishing. He really knows his stuff and he spends an incredible amount of time on the water. I could not tell you how many days, nights he has spent on the water even in the last 12 months. I feel like every time I talk to him, he's on the boat fishing. I know that he headed out and spent that many afternoons, night sessions on Mawala right through last autumn and winter. We even went out, we didn't even talk about it in the episode, but we uh, did that episode with E.T., at about that March-April period last year, and even that was a cracker session, Hocko guided ET onto his first meter cod on TV. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool session. We got on some really good fish, and it was a really good time of year when the water was clear, and that should happen again this year coming. So, once again, I want to thank Jack for that chat. It was really awesome for him to share all that content on Lake Mawala. And obviously, if you're keen for an experience of a lifetime, make sure you get in contact with him. You will not regret the session and you will learn an incredible 
amount about fishing from Jack. So that is lakemawalasportsfishing.com.au or you can check him out on Instagram or Facebook at lakemawalasportsfishing. So righto guys, that is it from me for this episode. I will be back next week. We will have another episode to finish us up for 2021. As to who I am talking to or what we are talking about, we will wait and see for that one, but that will be our final one for the year, and then we'll be back with another one two weeks after that in January. Coming up soon, we will have an episode with Dan Weber. Um, I'm also going to do an episode where I will be interviewed by a couple of different people. So I know that's one we've been, you guys have been requesting for quite some time. Uh, we're actually gonna, yeah, I'm gonna be, we're gonna be talking about me. So I'm gonna have questions shot my way about how I started social fishing, where it all started, how fishing started for me. Because um, I know you guys are pretty keen to hear that, but it'd be better to have questions coming my way that I'm not sure what's coming. That way you get the best answers. So that will be coming up soon and I'm excited to put together that podcast episode for you. Now, just one last thing before I finish up. If you guys, um, if these podcasts don't give you enough, if they don't hit the spot and you really want more content, we actually spend a lot of time inside our SF membership platform, creating a stack of content. So that's where most of my time goes. It goes into creating videos, articles, reports, trip reports, maps, which are the biggest part of the platform. That is where we create content. So if you are after more, if this doesn't quite give you enough, if you want more maps, if you want videos, if you want educational content that teaches you how to fish, including and I haven't even mentioned this yet, we have a Sounder series coming up next year for SF members only. So we're putting together an in-depth series on how to use your Sounder. So things like that, make sure you check out the membership. It's available at socialfishing.com.au. And if you have any questions about it, you can email me at reese, R-H-Y-S, at socialfishing.com.au. I'm happy to help with any of your questions. That's what we're here to do. That's why we started Social Fishing. It's here to help you guys. Righto, that is enough from me. Enjoy the warm weather, which we finally have, and I'll be talking to you next week. My name's Reese Creed, and you've been listening to The Social Fishing Podcast.